This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, March 20th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. What is mass transit for if not helping low-income people get to work? Cato's Randall O'Toole has a bolder claim. He argues mass transit can harm low-income workers. We spoke last week. Mass transit systems in general uh, are presented to city populations as uh, this is a means of transportation for low-income people. It's uh, reliable. It moves people through a city, typically from lower-income areas to higher-income areas, so that uh, these people can get to jobs without having to depend on an automobile. And that's always struck me as uh, fairly reasonable to the extent that programs that promote welfare are targeted to the poor, certainly one that uh, gives people a reliable uh, mode of transportation to move from home to work uh, is a perfectly fine one. There's a group at the University of Minnesota called the Center for Transportation Studies, and they've published a number of reports showing that uh, in urban areas, you can reach far more jobs in a 20-minute auto drive uh, than you can in a 60-minute uh, transit ride. Uh, in, in many urban areas. And in, in no urban area can you reach as many jobs in a 60-minute transit ride as you can in a 30-minute auto drive. So uh, low-income people have discovered this on their own, and they've gone out and bought cars. And now, and they've also discovered that driving is cheaper than transit. And so it's faster, it's cheaper, and it takes them where they want to go and so the market for low-income people in many cities has evaporated, and that's why cities are so keen on spending billions of dollars building light rail because they think they need to have rail to get middle-income or upper-middle-income people onto transit because they've lost the low-income market. Today, the median income of transit riders is significantly higher than the median income of Americans overall. And that means that uh, the transit industry is now for the wealthy, is not for the poor. So what, is that, what does that mean for uh, low-income people who might rely on transit? Uh, it's really hard for them because cities that build light rail lines or other rail lines to access uh, wealthy neighborhoods usually end up having huge cost overruns. And to pay for those overruns, they cut bus service to low-income neighborhoods. The classic case is Los Angeles, which uh, in 1985 was carrying almost 600 million bus trips a year, uh, serving low-income neighborhoods throughout the city. And in, uh, in the early, late 1980s, they decided to start building rail transit. By 1995, they had opened up several rail transit lines, which collectively were carrying about 30 million transit rides. Meanwhile, uh, the bus ride ridership had fallen by more than 100 million rides because they had cut back on bus service to uh, low-income neighborhoods. The NAACP actually sued Los Angeles Metro and won, and the court ordered Los Angeles Metro to restore bus service to black and, and Latino neighborhoods, and they did, and bus ridership recovered. But the court order expired after 10 years. And as soon as the order expired, Los Angeles Metro started cutting bus service and building rail again. And since then, they've opened up several new rail lines, and they've lost five bus riders for every new rail rider they've gained. Bus ridership is now back down to where it was before. So 
uh, it's a clear that Los Angeles Metro, at least, and other transit agencies in general, don't care about ridership. They don't care about serving low-income neighborhoods. What they care about is the big budgetary effects of building expensive rail lines. Assume that a local government and state governments are going to subsidize low-income transportation in metropolitan areas. What is the best way to do that? I think the best way would be to really target low-income people and give them transportation vouchers the way we give them food stamps and, and housing vouchers and things like that. And then they can use those transportation vouchers on any common carrier. They can use it on transit. They can use it on Uber or Lyft. They can use it on Amtrak or airlines or whatever. And that way they get a choice of, of where to go and how to get there. And it would be a lot cheaper than the billions of dollars we're spending today, much of which is going to high-income riders. I can remember uh, when Metro in D.C. was having trouble, as it often does. This, is, this isn't specific to one moment in time. Uh, but I can remember standing outside of the Metro knowing that the trains were going to be really late and uh, catching an Uber or Lyft for – that was an Uber pool or a Lyft line for $250. $3 to get directly from my metro stop to the front door of the office here at Cato. Uh, it strikes me that a lot of the Uber and Lyft, uh, the way they're able to charge those kinds of rates and still pay drivers a wage that the drivers are willing to accept is that they're just taking uh, venture capital money and throwing it at drivers and throwing it at discounts for riders. How is that doesn't seem like it's sustainable long term. Well, venture capitalists will invest in industries that they think eventually will turn profitable long term, uh, and it's their money to invest. If it's it's a different from transit agencies, which take everybody's money without asking them, in not many cases, or you know, with permission from a majority of the voters in some cases, but uh, not all of the voters and taxpayers, and then spend that money willy-nilly on ridiculously expensive transit systems that uh, are really unnecessary. Uh, transit ridership today is fast declining. It's been declining every year since 2014 nationwide. In some cities, it's been declining every year for the last decade. And it's clear that it's declining, at least for the last four years, because of ride-hailing services like Uber and Lyft. And so what the transit agency's response is, okay, we need to tax Uber and Lyft. And so now in some cities, if you ride Uber and Lyft, you pay a higher tax that goes to the transit agency than if you actually rode transit. In New York City, the average subway fare is about $1.30. But if you ride Uber, you pay $2.75 that goes to the subway. Uh, what is the transit death spiral? Well, transit agencies rely on transit fares for a part of their operating costs, not all of them because all of them are subsidized. But they do rely upon it for part of their operating costs. So if uh, typically it's about a third. So if transit ridership declines by uh, 20%, they have to somehow – uh, either increase taxes or reduce service by perhaps 10%. And so you end up uh, 
in a, what's called the death spiral. You lose riders, so you raise fares and or reduce service, which causes you to lose more riders, so you raise fares and or reduce service, and you just go downhill. And there are some transit agencies that are trapped in this spiral, and it looks like they're never going to get out. Sacramento has lost uh, Sacramento, uh, San Jose, Memphis, and, and Cleveland, and other cities have lost more than 40% of their riders in the last 10 years. And uh, it doesn't look like they're going to be able to recover. Uh, ironically, uh, a friend of mine called me up and said that her transit agency was telling people that they wanted to emulate other cities that they thought were doing excellent transit work. And one of them was Sacramento. Uh, all, almost all the cities that they wanted to emulate were losing riders, but Sacramento was really losing riders. So I decided to look up Sacramento's uh, transit agency's annual reports and see what they said about uh, losing riders. And the latest annual report from the Sacramento Regional Transit said, uh, 2018 was a, another year on our march to transit excellence. And I thought, excellence? What are you talking about? And I looked at their ridership reports, and 10 years ago, their ridership reports, the first page showed the previous 10 years of ridership history. So you could see how ridership had increased up until 2008. But in their most recent ridership reports, the first page shows on-time performance, and nowhere do they show past ridership. So they're not even telling their board that they're losing riders, that they've lost 20% uh, of their riders in the last four years and 40% in the last 10 years. So this ridership decline is that, you say it's going on across the country. Are there metros that have figured it out and have, have been able to at least maintain ridership? Um, there's a, a couple of metros that have done that. Uh, one is Houston. And what they did is they completely reconfigured their bus system. Uh, most transit systems are hub-and-spoke systems that focus on downtown, but most urban areas don't have a lot of downtown jobs anymore. Uh, in, in Houston, there are much bigger job centers away from downtown. So they reconfigured their bus system to be more of a grid system. So you could, without going all the way downtown and coming back, you could go from suburb to suburb or from neighborhood to neighborhood uh, faster. Because traditionally, uh, bus service always went through the downtown area. Right, right. So uh, after that reconfiguration, they've been gaining riders, and that's been a good thing. Richmond did the same thing, and they're starting to gain riders too. Seattle is a one city that seems to be the exception uh, for everything. And what's happened in Seattle is they've compacted uh, their job center into downtown. They've kept a hub-and-spoke system, but uh, they've grown their downtown tremendously. It used to have under 200,000 jobs. Now it has 300,000 jobs. Um, and uh, it, I don't think it was a deliberate policy of the city, but Amazon and Microsoft just decided, well, they've made housing or they've made land so expensive in the suburbs with their urban growth boundaries that they might as well be downtown. So they've had this huge construction boom downtown and, you know, uh, Amazon probably has 40, 50,000 jobs downtown alone, and Microsoft a similar number. And that concentration of jobs has enabled transit ridership to increase. Okay, so that is a, yeah, that's a unicorn. It, yeah, and at the same time, there's huge consequences of that. The, the 
housing has become extremely expensive. There's huge conflicts between uh, interest groups in the area. Uh, there's lots of homelessness. And the city council of Seattle said, well, we're going to tax downtown employers to uh, pay for homeless housing. And Amazon said, okay, we're moving. And so the city council backed off. But uh, uh, it's clear that there's a lot of tension going on there. Of course, congestion is terrible. Uh, only 25% of downtown workers drive to work and still uh, it's gridlocked. Uh, I-5 is uh, one of the worst congested roads in, in the country in the Seattle area. Randall O'Toole is author of, most recently, Romance of the Rails, available at Cato.org. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.